Thank you for listening to What I Witnessed. In this episode, you will hear Ralph Polito recount stories of his stepfather who was into witchcraft. Ralph describes how his stepfather was learning to be a warlock and how he was able to communicate telepathically and stop Ralph and his brother from being put under a spell by witches. You will also hear Ralph's story about a woman in white. We have heard in previous episodes about a woman dressed in all white that was a malevolent spirit. This brings me to my own story of a recurring dream from my childhood through my adulthood. I would often dream about the woman in white that was always trying to harm me. I would often wake up in night terrors. No matter what I did, I couldn't escape this woman. No matter the weapons I used or how many people would stand in her way, she always got to me. I would wake up right before she was able to grab a hold of me. I remember one particular dream that I had when I was in high school. I grew up on East 13th in Pueblo, Colorado. The dream picked up in the middle of the night with me running frantically down my block. People were outside of their homes watching me run to my house. Coming from the east, there was a white glowing mist coming up the hill. From this mist, the woman formed. In all of my dreams, it was only a white-veiled woman that was limbless and faceless. The dress she was wearing would move in the way of a person walking, but was hovering at the same time. As the woman in white entered my block, the neighbors were coming out of their houses with sticks, shovels, and anything else they could grab to try to stop her. Before you knew it, the streets were filled with people. As the woman in white advanced, people were flying in the air. Not one of them was able to make contact with the woman. It honestly looked like an angry mob village scene from a classic horror movie. I ran inside my house and I knew that I had to hide. I remember searching the house for the best hiding spot, but I also knew that it didn't matter where I hid. I heard the screeching of men and women outside my house while they were still trying to defend me. The front of my house lit up like it was daytime as the woman stepped on the porch. The door opened and I threw myself under a desk. The woman walked over and reached out to me. I saw an old decrepit hand formed from nothing as she reached out to me. I woke up unable to scream or moved while drenched in sweat. Fast forward to my adulthood. This was the last time that I had this dream about the woman in white. During this time, my wife was at the end of her pregnancy with our eldest son, Jose. Our doctor, Dr. Berryman, told us from an ultrasound that my son was going to be a girl. We had everything prepared for the arrival of a daughter. His name was going to be Trinity Gabriella. We had a two-bedroom apartment in Pueblo Southside. We had gone to bed, and in the middle of the night, my dream began. I remember the woman in white chasing me outside of the city in an industrial area. Many buildings and garages were on both sides of the street. I kept running and looking back. Each time I looked back at the woman, she was gaining on me. I ran inside of a warehouse that was gigantic. In the middle of this pitch-black room was a beam of light. Forgetting about the woman, I walked slowly towards the light. I noticed something sitting in the middle of the light. I kept walking closer and finally entered the light. In the middle was a baby carrier. I walked over to the carrier, got down on one knee, and looked on the inside. There was a newborn baby wrapped in blue blankets and wearing a blue beanie. The baby was sleeping. I got back to my feet just as the woman in white walked in the warehouse. Even though I couldn't see her eyes, I knew she was fixated on me. She walked closer into the light and stopped. She noticed the baby carrier and started to fixate on the child. I was no longer the person she wanted. She began circling the light while staring at the child. I started to follow her to put myself in between her and the child. I knew that if she entered, that I was the only one that could stop her. As she circled the light, she kept trying to put her arm through. Every time she did, her arm burst into flames. I woke up in a night terror and I couldn't breathe. I tried my hardest to yell, but I couldn't. My wife woke up from my movements and was trying to get me to respond. I gasped for air and was able to talk and sit up. I told my wife about my dream, and a couple months later, we were surprised with the baby boy. To this day, I still ponder what that dream meant, and why I had those recurring dreams. 
My name is Ralph Polito, and this is what I've witnessed. Okay, um, it's hard to figure where to start. Um, the way we're raised and hearing so many uh, uh, spooky stories and uh, things we're brought up with, especially with certain cultures. But this is what I've witnessed, and I'm going to start with a man my mother met probably mid-70s. He was full of spooky stories, and you just dismiss it as, this is what this guy does. And then later on, when I got around his family, they're, they're all from San Angelo, the daughters especially would tell me how true these things are. And they just they just matched up too much. But still dismissed as okay, sure. Uh-huh. Okay. This all goes back to where he starts his stories. He joined the Navy sometime in the fifties, I'm guessing early fifties. Lied about his age. Now it's time to get out of the Navy. His ship takes off. They leave him on shore duty. And as anybody else would know, it takes a while to wait for your orders to get out and to actually send you home. You know, money was a big commodity back then. So rather than go spend it out in town, he hung on to everything. He needed a way to kill time. And he chose, you know, he loves to read. He chose to hang out at the library rather than other activities, the bars, so on and so on. You know, he's really saving his money. While he's in, the, in his library, something just sparked an interest in... Um, uh, Witchery, uh, spells, uh, even a devil worship. Uh, he, he, all his interest went to that. And the more he learned, the more he developed a want to learn more. Okay? Now, this is a story he told us many times. A very long time before all these other things that I'm going to get to happened. Okay, he gets out. He wants again to save his money. So he decides to hitchhike home from Corpus Christi to San Angelo, where his whole family is. Okay? On his journey home, he comes into a grove, if you will, a, a tunnel of trees that they stitch together over the road. Texas is full of two-way roads, and this is probably a dirt road. It's not windy, but there's this gate clanging and clinging. And that, you could recognize the sound, or he could. He couldn't resist. He had to go find this gate. He went down and closed it. No fence, just two poles and a gate. He dismissed it as, just dismissed it. It wasn't until later that it comes into play. 
Now he's getting closer to home. He's getting anxious. It's been a long trip, which it is, especially if you're hitchhiking. He's close to San Angelo. um, It's getting dark, and the sedan pulls over, probably some kind of old coupe or something. He's anxious. He opens the car door and asks, how far are you going? And the man would just lift his hand up and wave, like, forward. You know, he's going to have to picture that. He would just kept motioning forward. And uh, after the third time asking him, he, he just threw a sea bag in the back and says, good enough. Okay, but... The whole time, he could not make out the man's face. Um, Maybe the car didn't have a light that worked inside, but he had a a brim that was sloped down and a long, slender face, and he distinctly remembers a long, slender, sharp nose. Okay. And he's starting to get a little spooked. You know, he, he would try to talk to this guy. He would just nod his head, yes. Or no, would not talk. And, you know, I guess it's a very dark night. Now, he's right outside his hometown. There's um, a railroad crossing, which I actually seen. It was actually deliberately showed to me to say this is a railroad crossing I'd always talked about when we were going to Corpus Christi. Okay. Um, It's it's an older railroad crossing where the, the bars don't come down. It just has the round thing that goes ding, ding, right to left, right to left. And all the lights, like the top of an ambulance, are just going and going and going. So this guy stops. That's all he could take. So when, it, when the train was getting close, he opened the door, grabbed his sea bag, and literally dodged the train and left that guy behind, okay? And uh, years go by, um, and, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to skip to when he told us this story. And like I said, he's told us many times, but uh, the reason he told us, because him and his brother, some of the daughters, you know, this is still there in San Angelo. They, they, this guy doesn't even know my mom yet. Um, they play. They start playing with a Ouija board. So they ask this question. You try to fool the board. Blah blah blah. And I hope I got this right. Uh, it, it can be checked if I don't have it right. But he told everybody the story again, and said, "I want to know who that person was." And I'm, I'm going to use the term Old Harry. It might be Old Henry or something like that. Uh, it's easy enough to find as I found that out. They didn't understand, so they asked again. And um, uh, somebody decided to use a dictionary, but there's dictionaries that describe everything, the terminology in Bibles that, just don't understand 
And while there's dictionaries that determine, you know, d- describe terminology for a worship on the other side, and it was in that dictionary that they found that the, the term Old Harry was a quote for worshipers to be able to use uh, Satan worshipers amongst other people so other people wouldn't understand who they were referring to. It's just old Harry. You, know. you can look it up in any dictionary. These days you can look it up on your own phone, and you will get the same description. It's what they probably still use to this day when they're uh, amongst people that are just unaware or really don't want to you know, no, this stuff, um, I can't emphasize how real this stuff is. Uh, so he, he kept his practices up, because that, that part was a really old story. Um, uh, reading more and more, uh, and uh, again, the more he read, the more he pried, the more it turned into a want, you know. Now, he does meet my mom. And this was sometime in, in the latter uh, 70s. So every time I'm around, his daughters especially, because uh, his son was just a year older than me, my stepson, my, my stepbrother. The things that they would tell us, I didn't know till later that they were actually, this is what you got to look forward to because this guy is around. Again, dismissed as pretty much just a bunch of bull. Uh, that, that, you know, people like spooky stories. Well, they just, you know, the, the daughters would say that that's because of all his involvement all these years before they were even born, long before I was born. And uh, this is what it's come to. But, again, dismissed. But uh, he used to talk about, let's say, a great-grandmother, three great-grandmothers back. And he would tell the story over and over again because of her involvement and how she was really a witch. You know, I mean... The real thing, I, in my terms, but when she was dying, nobody could enter the room because there was a huge black dog at the foot of her bed, and this thing that's bigger than an encyclopedia, and the pages would just turn, and the dog would not had nobody in there till after she died. Again, this is a story I heard over and over. It was passed on, but never believed. Now, I learned all this about this guy. I still don't believe everything. But all his literature around the house all evolved around supernatural stuff, uh, witch stories, uh, even like how to be, like let's say a warlock, this and that. you know. But he was experimenting with other things. Okay, uh, I'm from Pueblo, Colorado. And, and off and on, 
my mom was a single mom. Well, we always seemed to live in some kind of housing of one type or another. Well, we were on Second Street, and one of those duplexes are made out of bricks. You know, a lot of people are familiar with those. But there was a bar kind of set up that looked against the wall, and my mom had flowers and everything. I was, I had my back to him sitting there. He was sitting on a chair by the door reading a book, and everybody in the, in, in the room was occupied with something else. My mom, of course, was probably right around the corner in the kitchen. And I'll never forget the way he communicated with me. I, I don't know what the word is, telepathic, okay? Um, he would never say my name as Ralph. He would always say Ralph, like with an F. Okay, you, you hear things with your ears from the outside in. The very back of your head, like if you're scratching your neck, I heard him say my name from the inside out. And it instantly just, it freaked me out. It, it made me angry because I knew before I even turned around what he had done because he was reading about how to do that. He swore he was going to figure it out. Still, nobody else is paying attention. I turned around. And he's got this smile on his face because he knew that he actually accomplished this feat. I told him my mind is the only thing that I've got that anybody's got that is only mine. Don't you ever invade me like that again. Practice on dogs or something. Don't, don't ever do that to me again. You've made me very angry. Figured it out. Great. Good for you. I don't want people to know what my thoughts are because they're mine. That's the only thing you've got that's every really yours in your life. It's nobody's business. Okay. Time goes by. Uh, we move into another house just down the street from a high school I was going to. It was Centennial High School, and we lived. We were living on an old house, about just about as far down as you can go on Denver Boulevard. And things just started happening. Uh, there was this huge room upstairs where all four of us, um, me and my two younger brothers, and our stepbrother, he was about a year older than me. There was that. That's how big the room was. We had our own bed and everything. We even had uh, driving drive-in speakers that we hung on the side of our, our bedboards uh, because we had stolen. And we turned it on, you know, hooked it up to the stereo, and we had our own volume and all that kind of crap, you know. Psychedelic lights, uh, glow-in-the-dark footprints on the ceiling. You know, we did all that. It was the seventies. When I would come home and nobody else was home, I could hear the radio on upstairs. And I was thinking, well, one of my brothers is up there. I would go up there. None of my brothers were up there, and the radio was not on. 
and you couldn't hear it as soon as you got up there, almost mocking you. So quite some time goes by, and this was brought up, and my brothers admitted, all three of them, that they've that the same thing had happened to them. Now, I'm going to use the word cheap entertainment with this guy. Um, when we presented him with this, he uh, was kind of thrilled about what was going on, as if, well, things are working for me. I'm going to become what I want to become. And, and they're, they're these demons, witches, whatever they are, they're just fooling around. And I'll get back to this because that's what they do to the people. It's always the people closest to you that they do this to demons, which is so on and so on. Because it's so easy. You know, you know I don't have the rest of the explanation for that. So now we're starting on... Uh, go back to all these stories that we heard from the daughters and even my stepbrother, which most of them he got from them, saying, you know, this stuff is starting to sound more and more real because that's all this guy is about, you know. So <laughs> now we're really wondering. Okay, I, I, I went to the part, I already said the part where this guy actually thought, when, when we were hearing the radio and so on and so on, he actually thought that this was entertaining, funny, haha, uh -huh. you know. I don't think that he was actually in touch with what he was really doing, how real this was going to get. Now, we moved to Colorado Springs. I get my license, I get my first car. And I'm going to a high school there called uh, Harrison High School. And we were in a really nice house. And there was a period where he kind of forgot all about all this. But uh, uh, a Ouija board surfaced. My mom said, get that thing out of the house. But he always had all these books. And some of them were very thick, and they were all about some kind of witchcraft, some kind of a demonic thing, you name it. He had a whole library of this stuff. Now, com completely convinced with these stories, and uh, even talking to my mom, you know what, this, this guy, you know, he's really messing around with this stuff, and some of this stuff is starting to manifest, and I think it has been manifesting around us for quite some time. She pretty much didn't buy it. So he gets more and more involved. You know, um, it, practically right in front of us. You know, I mean, right in front of us. And I guess we're supposed to all just dismiss this stuff. Then he started telling us stories about what witches and warlocks are capable of and how they're able to actually transform themselves into animals to do God knows what, but their favorite, the owl, their favorite is always 
in all the stories, they can change into other animals, but warlocks and witches alone will change into owls to, I guess, haunt or do what they do. I don't know, but they're not eating mice. Okay. Now, okay, aware of all these stories because we constantly hear them. Like I said, I was in high school, and I met this Japanese girl, Air Force brat. She had a sister. And my brother, myself and my brother Mark, were dating these girls, especially because I was the only one with the car, and those two girls like to be together. They're sisters, you know. And uh, they started expressing their, they would talk, talk openly about how they're starting to read and learn about how to cast spells. This, these girls were starting with that. That alarmed me learned from what, everything I've already learned. I told my stepdad what I heard one of the girls say. That, you know, we were driving the girls home, and, and the younger sister tells, I left this, I, I left, I, I really don't know what it's called, but I left this, I'm going to use the word spell, on the windowsill, which was actually my bedroom. So they were careless like that. I get home. And there's this little plastic cup, like from uh, a, not a lid, like from a Tupperware, and it had a bloody su substance in it. And I was like, oh, uh, she did leave something. So that's when I went and, and told my stepfather about it. He went in there and was just full of questions after that. Says, what are these? What do you know about these girls? Have they been doing this? Have they been doing that? Says they talk about it. I said, well, they started the spell in there. He was very familiar with what they that girl had done, and it involves vaginal fluids, like when they're on their time of the month. Okay, and it actually looked like that, you know. So he goes in with his books and things and does what he does. And then he comes out and he says, look, you guys got to stop seeing these girls. And uh, what they're going to do next is, is uh, they're going to make you some treats, cookies, cake, even uh, a sweet breakfast or something. And while that hasn't happened yet, and he says, whatever you do, do not... Do not have sex with these girls when they're anywhere near their period. Because that's going to lock it in. Now, whether or not my brother Mark did or didn't, or I did or didn't, I mean, we're in high school. That's all you do. <laughs> I'm serious. You know, I don't have the answer for that. But I guess I was spared of that. But like clockwork, we're taking them home uh, the next day or two. And they asked us to come in, and they made us all these cookies. I'll never forget the look on my brother's Mark's face, as he probably won't mind. 
It's just like this guy said it was going to happen. So we leave. We didn't get 80 feet from the house, and we tossed the cookies. You know, it's just, this is all just fitting together too well. And we know this guy knows what he's talking about at this point. Well, like I said, everything he happened, said that these girls were going to do, they tried to do. And where it started off with the, the bloody sample on the windowsill, I don't know. I don't care to research that. But he brought to our attention that these girls have no idea what they're doing. They're, they're experimenting with things that they don't know. Stop seeing these girls. Well, the cookies was pretty much the, the end of that. And, uh, of course, there was going back to school. I didn't want you to talk. Why don't you want to talk to me again? Everything. I thought nothing to do with you. Now, all that happened, not, you know, time went by. And this guy's going on with his stories. He's reading his books. And uh, my mother wasn't home. My brother Mark was upstairs with the flu. And I mean, he was out, you know, all medicated and everything. So it was just, we were downstairs in a half-sunk basement in this house in Colorado Springs. The wind, a windstorm. I mean, a windstorm from a bad windstorm. And none, all you could see was brown dirt going from left to right. We're watching TV, and the window's right above the TV. And I kept seeing this white cloud going against the wind. And I got more and more curious. I kept seeing it. And I had a white shepherd. She was outside. She doghouse and she was chained up she i never heard her bark the way she was barking she was just barking and you know like scared it stopped abruptly well apparently she broke the chain she was gone for three days till she came back so i step up and i'm concerned about my dog and i'm walking halfway across the room towards the stairs that go up outside. And the guy says, Ralph, what are you doing? I said, something's going on out there. I keep seeing this cloud, and my dog just stopped. He goes, don't go out there. I'm going, okay, here we go. Now, it was only, it was only my, my stepbrother and myself down there. I honestly don't believe where my brother Anthony was at the time. Maybe he's just upstairs. I don't know. But the other one's sick. He goes, I want you guys to, to go upstairs. Um, there's something out there. He says, it's a witch. So we half believe him. We half don't. Okay, well, we'll placate this thing. He goes down there with these big old books and does whatever he's doing. But he told us, whatever you do, stay upstairs. So I'm, I'm 15, the other one's 16. He comes back up, and what do we do? We go right back downstairs. Now, my stepbrother, he's quite obese. You know, he's not a fast guy. 
We go down there. We don't get to the bottom of the basement. We're still standing on the last two steps. And as I mentioned before, the sound you get from the back of your head, not your ears, from the inside out, it was like you could picture a huge like ballroom. You could hear forks and knives clanging on fine china, uh, glasses clinking, uh, and a lot of laughter. And then there was this loud screech. And it has to be like, like a screech owl, which I've heard. It's the only kind of screech that uh, reminds me of that. With this woman's mocking laughter behind it. She was actually haunting, toying with, toying with us. I looked at my, we, I didn't know if my stepbrother heard the same thing, but when he turned and looked at me, we, we both knew that we were listening to the same thing. That big guy beat me up the stairs. I mean, literally just trampled me. And I, I couldn't get past him. So the dad's up there. He said, what's going on? And, and he said, Dad, there's something down there. There's something down there. And we told him what he heard. He spent hours down there doing whatever he does. And uh, he even put a Bible underneath my brother Mark's pillow because he was just completely out. We were so nervous that we actually let two tablespoons of uh, or teaspoons of sugar dissolve in our mouths to calm us down. That's how bad we were shaking. We're just in misbelief. I, I can't describe how scared we were. And... Um, Okay, that's one of just so many. The basement story and, and the, the, the radio being on, and I'm, I'm skipping so much. But uh, that time came and went, and I always suspected that he had done something to me that it's going to affect my health the rest of my life. I'm going to keep that to myself, but I truly believe that that's where he started when he was just literally just trying to see if something was going to work. Okay, let me get back to the windy night and uh, that horrid night. The cloud that was going against the wind. I went back there. All I wanted to do is see if I could find my dog. There were the hugest bird prints I've ever seen in my life. Um, a, a vulture couldn't leave those bigger prints. And the wind didn't even blow them away, and the dirt was dry as bone. And they were all over the place. They were as big as your hand. I showed it to this guy. He says, she was an owl, and she wanted you to see this. She, you know That's why it didn't blow away. So, you know, cameras, I didn't think to take pictures. 
you know, uh, hell, beepers didn't even exist then, you know, let alone a, a phone you can just take out of the pocket. i got to take a picture of this, which nobody would have believed anyway. But uh, and then there was a health thing that I always suspected he had something to do. Now, I just want to go to... If you know anybody, especially if you're younger, even if you're older, that's starting to look into these avenues, say what you got to say as far as you really shouldn't mess with that. But you're better off stopping your friendship, your relationship, whatever it is, when you realize these people are not going to stop because it's always the people close to them that are easiest to experiment with. And it gets to where there's no shame with that. They don't even know what the outcome is going to be. They're just that curious. Now that has been advice that I've given to both of my sons, just about everybody I've ever talked to about these things. You have choices in this in your life. Um, believe in your faith. Or believe in something, uh, especially if it manifests in front of you. It's a door you open. Once you open that door, you've got to realize what you've gotten into and get out, or it's going to pull you in. And that's what we were given. You know, back to the apple tree and all that, the choice that we, you know, can make. That's when we were given that. Well, that's what I believe anyway. Now, everything that I got from this, I was so glad when it was over. I, myself, actually left town and eventually joined in the Navy. I was so glad to not be around this guy anymore. But later in life, I realized that I had developed a sense where if I'd seen something, I knew if it was real, I knew if it was good, I knew if it was bad. I developed a sense out of all this. I'll call it a gift, I guess. I still have it. I'll give you one good example. My wife and I were living in Denver. We uh, had this bedroom with a fireplace. And one a high window, it was a very small window, and we seen something glowing and traveling across the ceiling towards the window, and I right away knew, because we had both seen it. I said, "Don't get scared. Whatever it is, it's not trying to scare us. It's just probably doesn't even know we're here." But I was able to sense that, to whereas she seen it automatically was in fear, but I was able to soothe her and assist. It's nothing. If it was, I would know. Now, later on, we moved back to, to Pueblo and uh, we're searching for houses. And uh, her and her brother tell me about this house where they got such a bad feeling something was actually messing with the radio. So I'm like, okay. 
So I go over there. As soon as I walk into the house, I knew something was wrong. They said my, my own son wouldn't even go down the stairs to the basement. When I stood at the top of those stairs, I knew this house was angry. If those are the right word words. I went down, and there was nothing good down there, nothing good at all. I came back up. I says, we should go. We don't want nothing to do with this house. And I believe I still have that gift that was brought on from all this because you learn to decipher, and I don't wish that on anybody. Okay, um, going back to this, uh, I called a gift. Uh, uh, I knew how I could tell what's around me that's good or really bad. I was going through some really depressing times. I had moved away to take an apprenticeship in Utah, and I had to be away from my fiance. And when you're 18, 19, that's pretty tough. But uh, I rented this little place. It was just one straight room. A kitchenette, a bed, a dresser, a phone, and a bathroom. It was one of those bathrooms to where it was just a ring. That was your shower. You know, just a curtain with a ring and really a, kind of a sleazy joint. But I had to, I went through this apprenticeship and I started working on oil rigs. Um, Delivering, delivering chemicals, and it was on. You were on call, and sometimes you'd be gone for days with no sleep. So, I, for the longest time, I contributed to that. But it would get so cold up there. This was in Vernal, Utah, that in the middle of the winter, if you open up the door, you can see a white cloud just crawl through the floor because of the heat on top of the, the cold. That's how cold it was. I mean, you could see, like, from a freezer, from the store, you know, that a cloud of thick white just creeping across the floor. And I had seen it many times. I got back from God knows how many days and hours out, and I laid down. I don't even remember going to sleep. So I'm dreaming that the door is opening, that the door is open, and that this cloud is creeping on the floor, every bit of a foot high. And this, I'm going to say she was beautiful, but she, everything was white. She emerged from this cloud, and her... She wasn't really in a dress. Everything was like torn scarves, and they were just floating, and actually kind of pretty. And then she reached out and grabbed my wrist with the strength of a gorilla, and her chains completely faced, and it, it was it was very horrid. I mean, she. Uh, it turned into a skull. Everything was still white. And she opened her mouth and 
no voice came out, but she was just scaring me. I, I instantly wake up. The door is shut, and it's warm. Just like a bed in a rug, man. It, it, it was warm. I was like, wow. I have, that's, uh, know, that's loss of sleep. I go back to sleep. The next morning, I get up, and I felt my wrist. I felt all this pain. I looked at my wrist, and there was a perfect long-fingered handprint on my wrist. And it wasn't just a handprint. It was bruises. I mean, it was already turning purple, and it was unmistakable what it was. And... uh, I don't know if that goes back to anything, but uh, I do know that <laughs> lack of sleep and depression can be a, another open door for things around you to uh, haunt you. You're vulnerable, yeah. And uh, well, my wife's actually got stories about that you know, when uh, depressing parts of her life, loss of loss of a uh, loved one. Um, a period of depression, um, even alcohol, you know, just to get through everything. But uh, those are her stories. But I thought I'd throw this one in because I, you know, I almost forgot it. And I was, I was 19 years old. I had just turned 19 years old when that happened. But. Uh, I thought it was a dream, and, and to this day, I know it was very real. But, uh, so, get your sleep. <laughs> Try to stay away from depression, because um, these things can happen, I guess. And with that, I'm going to close. Tune in to the next episode to hear Ralph's wife, Mona, tell her paranormal stories. You can follow What I Witnessed on Instagram and Facebook. If you have a story to tell, you can private message us on Instagram, Facebook, or email us at whatiwitnessed at gmail.com. W-H-A-T-E-Y-E-W-I-T-N-E-S-S-E-D at gmail.com.